0: ...and this is my debut novel published this year, She's Not There, as a police procedural introducing DS Cat Dubois, set in the Highlands of Scotland. And I have written lots of short stories and self-published collections of short stories.
1: Hi, I'm Ken Ward, and um, I write the D.I. Keane stories, and they're all set in Norfolk. And um, You were talking earlier about imposter syndrome. Boy, do I feel it now. Uh, <laughs> but before I go any further, in case I forget, the Yanks will run out of time. Um, I know it's been said this morning, but can we just also say thank you
2: now to That's Donna. for the The work she does. Yeah.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, My name's Andy Hill. I write as AJ Hill. Uh, I write a series based down in um, Hampshire in the New Forest. Uh, The first one is that one, Dead Drift, and then the second came out earlier this year, and
4: that's called Bloody
3: Butcher. I'm in the middle of writing number three, which is currently titled Blood Worm, am also weirdly writing a standalone as well, which came to me under rather strange circumstances, but I kind of had to get the idea out, um, and that's kind of a country house reality TV mashup.
0: <laughs> okay. so this thing died.
4: Um, talk about imposter syndrome, I don't even have a book. Andy came in to take all of the coffee, but, but you've got the bare bones of one. <laughs> okay. uh, so, yeah, I'm uh, Alex Coward. Yeah, um, my series is the DCI Boyd series. <laughs> <laughs> the first book is the Silent Tide. <laughs> Hello, I'm Tom Reid.
5: I write as TG Reid, the uh, DCI in Scottish crime detective mystery series. Seems to be getting longer, but hopefully, cannot not a And it's set in uh, the dark and dangerous Campsie
4: films in Scotland. Pass the microphone, Tom. Yes. I should play music.
3: Yeah, It felt like
2: that all day. Um, nice, easy one to start. What ethical and moral, moral considerations do you take into account when depicting law enforcement in your work?
0: Oh, <laughs> well, I'll start at that end. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh! <laughs> <laughs> We're all refusing to comment. Yes. <laughs> so, you I was just thinking
5: about it earlier on about it. Um Yes, it's, a, it's an interesting one because, yes, I, I think I'm, I'm very conscious of Killing people um, in in police police procedurals are all about murder. Often that's that's often the case, and it can be quite quite brutal. Some of these killings. So, uh, I think you have to uh, consider very what's happening around these killings and who is involved in in, in, the, in the slaughter of people that <laughs> I mean, you actually work through your books. Um, and actually, when you are dealing with motive and, uh, and uh, consequence and all of those things, I think you can, you can build in ethical considerations to some extent. But at the same time, uh, it's tricky because it's, you know, you're, you're supposed to be writing thrilling, um, entertaining, uh, possibly scary uh, books. So um, it, there is a there is a thin line I think that you have to you, know, you have to walk a wire really, in terms of how how to maintain these types of ethical considerations. I'm just completely hedging and fudging here. Okay. <laughs> Can you tell? Um, but it is tricky. But I have to say I, I had an interesting conversation with an agent which just ties in with this, where. Um, uh, TV rights people, producers, um, are now getting very uh, wary of, of uh, commissioning uh, police stories and crime stories uh, where there are female victims. I think, in light of what's going on in the world, the real life horrors of uh, what's happening, um, uh, the impact of women. Um, so, uh, and a few writers are beginning to, to uh, change agendas. In terms of the victim, um, uh, in order to either get around this, this, this issue of problem or more actually face up to some of the ethical issues that the, the books may be raising, that their books may be raising. It's quite an interesting one, it's quite a tricky one to consider, I think. Uh, complex. Alex, <coughs> what
4: was the last word in the question again? I forgot. What was the word you? <laughs> the
2: Ethical and ethical moral considerations modern, yeah. you take into account when you depict law enforcement. Oh, that's
4: a, that's a good question. Uh, I think, like Tom, uh, one, the, big, the big question is um, the victims. I saw the victims. I, I, I kind of made a conscious effort not to do this series, um, child murders and female victims. I mean, I'm not to say I have any female victims in time. but I, I just think you know, that feels like low-hanging fruit in a way as well. And it's well overdone. So I'm very coy about those sorts of victims. In terms of uh, the other ethics, which is the the police side, Mm. um, it's been a very interesting journey with the Metropolitan Police in recent months, recent years. Um, And I think it's getting harder uh, to, in some ways, see the line between the moral side of the line, which is the right, which is the, the wrong side of the line, particularly when it comes to their style of policing. Um, and I think it's one of the things I to play around with, is like, okay, how good are the good guys? Um, and are we ready for a book that's really going to take a mess to task? Oh gosh, on the next copper.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, I, I guess the first thing that I'd start with is the, the motivation, um, of the person who's committing the crimes, and um, you go back to the Seven Deadly Sins. And then it's looking at the fact that as human beings we're all flawed. We all, you know, the majority of us here, no serial killers, I trust, um, have a reasonable moral compass. But that doesn't mean that we don't make bad choices sometimes, because we do, as my two ex-wives would tell you. Um, And I guess I look at it as a, a, a copper who was, who was, gosh, nearly 40 years ago, I was a police officer, and I look at the job that they have to do now, and that, that narrow path is now the thinnest of tightropes, um, and they have an incredibly difficult job to do. Um, and to be in that situation now where if I'm arresting somebody, everybody surrounding me has got mobile phones on. That really would absolutely distress me, and it's no wonder that we're losing 20-odd thousand police officers a year, um, and regardless of what the government would tell us. Um, and We have to remember that, like the general public, the police um, are us, and, Every barrel has a bad apple in it, um, and that doesn't mean to say that the rest of the apples are bad, and there's an awful lot of really good policemen, you know, I know Graham, and women, police officers as well, you know, you can tell them. I was 40 years ago, uh, police officers out there who are doing a fantastic job, and they're doing their best to try and uh, protect the, the community and the people. But that doesn't mean to say that they're they're not ordinary people with the pressures and the stresses that we have. And on top of that, they have their job, which brings those additional stresses. Well, you say it's an easy question. I'm just thinking I need to rewrite this book.
1: Um, I don't I don't really look at it. I suppose I just I write the story. Um, The characters are there. The words sometimes seem to write themselves. I try and do it that. I'm thinking from the, the police are the good guys. Um, so hopefully that comes across. Um, but yeah, as I say, I think it's just the fact of, like Andy just said, you know, the press that the police are getting at the moment, and you sort of think, well, if you're going to try and put that into a book um, in any way, does it then drop into becoming a more like factual book? Um, and that's something I've always said to people, Um, people said to me about the police procedure is very good in the book Um, and I I say well it's just my idea Um, I I do research obviously I've spoken to police officers but it is just my words and my idea Um, fortunately um, in one of my earlier books and it was someone who pointed out to me that something I'd done or had the people involved do the police wouldn't have liked and I thought, oh, right, this book's now out there. And um, what do I do about this? So I contacted the policeman who i have been talking to him, And I told him about it. He knew the book. He knew what the story was. And I said to him what they told me. And he said, well, Ken, he said, put it this way. He said, if I get you a copy of the police manual, he said, you'll see in there that what they've said is what we would expect. He said, well, what you've done, he said, is you put something human nature into it. And he said, that's what people would do in that situation. Um, and I hope that comes across in the books, um, but I'm certainly now
0: rethinking how I would write the next <laughs> <book>. <laughs> But I um, say, I hope it comes across. I knew there was a reason I wanted to go last. Um, like Andy, I was a police officer, as most of you know, that you were here this morning. I did 20 years in the Met under Northern Force, and I now work as a safeguarding consultant, and my background was investigation, particularly child protection. So I do write about those things because it's what I know, and I like to think about write authentically but not graphically, and I am veering away from that because I do get it dark, and I think we, we have to be aware of the reader and make them know what the content is about in some ways, because not everybody wants to read that. And we're not writing for police officers, we're writing for readers, yeah. Yeah. of which there are some police officers, of course, and I know i watch things on the telly that can never happen read a book that never happened. But it's fiction and it's got to be authentic and you can do it in an authentic way. But going back to the thing that Andy said, the Meta has a massive spotlight on it, very political hot potato, but you go to the more provincial forces and you want to see some of the stuff that goes on there that they get away with because it's not in the public eye Mm -hmm. and it isn't seen and there's a lot more bad apples. But taking it on a bit further, talking about people if you're driven by power or you have intention to do bad things to people where are you going to go you're going to go to the jobs that allow you to do it which is policing teaching health and those professions are full of people that are there for bad intentions and i'm not saying like you not everybody there is like that majority vast vast majority of people are good people but people who aren't good people get good jobs to hide what they're doing, to allow them to do what they're doing. And that's the psychology of an offender. So it's no doubt that the police force is gonna have people driven by those things. And that's, as a writer, where we then get our ethics. I've read lots of books by writing friends that have written bad cops. I was a good cop, I ended my career on a whistleblowing because I couldn't have that on my conscience and it cost me my career. So good cops do get pushed out because of that. But they are there, and there's more of them than we like to think, because we only hear about the bad ones. And the bad ones should be called out, and I, I would never defend any of them. But we could have this di- discussion for a long time, couldn't we? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, especially with ex-cops. Yeah. <laughs> um, you sort of touched on it um, already, but how do you handle um, the crazy and current um, social and political issues? Do you include them, or do you pretend they don't exist?
0: Well, it disheartens me and it hurts me. and there's, It's difficult, but we've got to be upfront and honest, and we need to be written these out, and we need to write our fiction authentically. and They are there, and we can't pretend they're not. We don't live in Midsummer Murders, and John Nettles isn't the lovely, genial detective. They're great and they have the place, but if you're writing gritty crime, you have to write it authentically. And yeah. And, yeah I think it's, it's,
1: it's right, right what you're saying. We're, we're writing to entertain people. Um, we want them to get involved with the characters and that. Um, I, haven't, I haven't thought about having a bad cop in a book yet, but further down the line, not necessarily anything to do with any press that's on at the time or anything like that, who knows? Um, because I find, and one thing I found really weird when I first started writing, um, characters do take on, have a tendency to take on a life of their own. Um, I read an interview in a writing magazine way back when I first, first thought about it. And a writer, unfortunately I can't remember their name, said they had discussions with their characters. And I thought, come on, it's words on a bit of paper. And after I'd done that, and then I realised one day that well, I'd sat for half an hour arguing with a character, <laughs> because they wouldn't do what I wanted them to do. So and I, ended, I ended the argument quite simply by saying if in the next 10 minutes you don't do what I want you to do, I'm killing you off. <laughs> and uh, funny enough, you did what I wanted him to do. Uh, but as I say, they are characters that are there to try and entertain. Um, I realise people are reading them, and you've also got the news in your other ear maybe, or on the TV. Um, so I try and keep it as real as I can. For someone who's never had anything to do with the police, uh, so and as I say, that's how I deal with it. So in the future, who knows?
3: I I, I guess the sort of the social issue um, side is something that I'm working on in book three um, or at the moment. I kind of went the traditional route—a serial killer for the first one, and then sort of drugs wars in the in, in the in the second one, which. Um, you kind of think walls in the war, so a New Forest, but you have to remember that the New Forest has got Southampton on one side and Bournemouth on the other, and Winchester to the north, so it's actually surrounded by an urban common- of- conurbation. Um, and then for the third one, I, I wanted to um, address homelessness. Um, and one of the common tropes is that something like thirty percent of the people who are street sleepers are ex- ex-military. And it's not, it's a tiny, tiny percentage in actual fact. I went and had a chat with the CEO of Veterans Aid, um, who are a wonderful charity that if somebody comes to them who is a military veteran, um, and who's homeless, they will have him housed within 24 hours. Um, and there's, you know, there's lots of others coffee heroes and people like that. But Veterans Aid, in the pyramid, and the person who's the most important thing is not the fundraising. Or anything like that. It's it's about getting that homeless person um, home. And so the premise, without giving too much away, is that there's already two homeless people being killed and the third person is, is found um, dead on the outskirts of Windhurst, which is not far from where my main protagonist, Jack London, lives. Um, and that person is a veteran um, and is known to my other main protagonist, Gemma, um, Jemma Bryce, who is a former captain in military intelligence, and she, let's say, goes off on a little bit because this this whole serial killer thing um, of somebody picking on the homeless has not been picked up by the local press, and it's because the homeless are invisible; they don't count, they're not people, and all of a sudden you've got a veteran and somebody pushing behind that um, to actually get this notice, um, and um, yeah. I do think as crime writers, um, it, we do have that ability if we so choose to try and address you know, um, social issues. Um, and that's commonly my
4: little <laughs> <of> <laughs> So the question was about real world uh, in the When I wrote the first Sun uh, Thai book, DCLA book, it was right at the last tranche of code. Uh, and I was wondering, you know, okay, what do we do? Do we, do we write at present day um, and try and anticipate the way this is going to? Is it going to have another tranche and another line? Or is it going to wrap up quickly? So I, I set it 18 months after COVID, thinking, okay, that gives us enough time to, to put some distance out between us and the pandemic and things will be back to normal. And i realize now how incredibly stupid I've been because I put the series 18 months in advance of the present. And I've spent the last two or three years being blindsided by news story after news story. I mean, new, the Ukraine war, no one's going to see coming. And then what's recently happening in Israel. And, and mm-hmm. what I'm going to do is slow this series down so that I can get the present to catch up with it because I'm flying blind trying to predict the future. Uh, and I think I do want the series to exist in this world because in, within the veracity, I think, lies a lot of attention. Yeah, I suppose as a piece of advice, don't write in a very near future, because that will come back and bite you. <laughs> I was going to talk about quickly, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> what Simon said. <laughs> 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 um,
5: well, this procedural is a weird genre. It's weird. It's weird, actually. It's strange because they are quite restrictive in a way and my God, i need to be restricted in terms of my writing so it's a good thing there are a lot of tropes and a lot of rules that you have to abide to and actually you know, a lot of readers they they complain about the tropes they say oh god someone's gonna you know health issue and all. it's got all sorts of marital problems and characters and this but actually um there are expectations about what these procedures should be uh, amongst readers, I think. and um, and I think it's in some ways they are escapists, they are an escapists, an escapist. and uh many ways the most successful ones have that, that sense of closure about them. They may not be completely closed, and they may have longer stories that go on and the characters develop and even serial killers can escape and so on. But actually there is that sense of closure and positivity in terms of you know bad that people get caught. Um, um, but I think that when you introduce social issues into that as a as a as a separate trope if you like, um, it, it can be quite dangerous, I think, in terms of the, the, the specificity <laughs> of the genre um, uh, and its and its and its restrictions and limitations. And I think that uh, readers don't necessarily like it, actually, because you're kind of straying into uh, wider, perhaps, political issues, it, and it may be that um,
4: it it can it can undermine
5: the the the, of the, of, the of the book and the genre. Um, so I'm I'm wary of. Um, introducing socialists. I'm, I'm very much on, on the
4: side in some of them, I'm afraid, <laughs> but actually, you know, there's a lot to be said for it in terms yeah. of you know, what, what it teaches you about how restrictive this
5: genre can be. But again, you can play with it, you can move it around, and you can shift it things, but not too much, I think. It's quite a conservative genre, so it's, a, it's tricky to do that, you have to be very careful.
2: Okay, I'm going to ask you one of my favourite questions. If you were to be fictionally killed, would you want your own detectives to solve your murder? And if not, then who?
0: Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, Rebus could, because he tends to break the rules, whereas my detective would be against breaking the rules. So I think they'd make a good team. Um,
1: yeah, I think so, because he's so far, he's managed to solve all the ones I've seen. Um, but uh, yeah, but as far as fictional, um, then I'm going to go with the Midsummer Murders because it doesn't matter how many they always manage to solve them. Uh, so and I think if you look at it, you go back over the years. John Nettles, as Bergerac, he yeah. solved them ones as well. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be all
3: right. <laughs> it's, it's a difficult one because my my two central protagonists are not police officers Um, and i did that deliberately because i wanted them to have more freedom than the police actually have um so jack uh is a former di but he's been um he's been an estate agent for the last 20 years because i wanted to have somebody who kind of knew everybody and an estate agent was kind of a, a a neat way of doing that nice little macguffin of doing that and then Gemma. And, and Jack's sort of, shall we say, M.O. when he was a D.I. was that he wasn't that afraid to stray into grey areas, occasionally, um, and was very, very focused on on results. Um, and then Gemma, uh, Gemma Bryce, who, um, for want of a better word, is his psychic, and, and certainly isn't, is absolutely his equal, and to be honest, put her in a room with anybody, and she's the smartest one in the room. Um, she is borderline genius, multilingual, very, very clever girl. Um, and would I want them to? Yeah. Absolutely. Because <laughs> Gemma doesn't <coughs> really believe that Grey exists, having worked in military intelligence and worked in, in Afghanistan in particular, um, where uh, the intelligence that she was gathering um, would save lives, there were no lines that she would not cross.
4: So, yeah, I would absolutely have those two. Um, yeah, and I'd have PCI Boy because um, he, he really could do an easy book. Just an easy case. <laughs>
0: I would be because I'd be dead. <laughs>
2: Before I open it to um audience questions, I just want to touch on humour. Um you've made us laugh throughout the panel and you make us laugh during your books. Is that for your own to ease your own tension while you're writing or is that for us readers? Well I think certainly because I write
0: quite dark stuff, you have to have some humour in there and knowing a bit of police humour, it can be a bit sometimes. So I've had to lighten some of the humour a bit. Um, and it not be so dark. Well, yeah, I think humour is really good and there's a place for it everywhere because that's human, isn't it? We're not just all black, we're not just white, we're, we've got lots of different shades of our personalities, and I think humour is important. There's not tons of it, but I think we need touches of it in a gritty book, in other types of books. Yeah, I'll leave that to the others. <laughs> no, I
1: totally agree. I think it's the fact, even though whether you've been in the police force, you know someone who's been in the police force, you know, someone who's been in the military, or someone who's a pathologist, you realise the world they inhabit. And if there wasn't humour, I think there'd be very many more, especially veterans, on the street uh, because it's the humour that allows them to carry on to do what they do. So yeah, definitely. And I, I, I enjoy writing it. Um, I like to laugh myself, so it comes across quite easily.
3: Effie Effie uh, touched very quickly on uh, police humour, and it is pretty dark. And um, in the opening of of Dead Drift, um, Jack Lund is fishing one day when the body of an old friend floats down to him, and when uh, his old colleague, um, Nick Sparks, turns up, Nick's opening line is, what weight (laughs) were (laughs) you using?
4: Comedy in in, uh, books like this, I think, is, is actually one of the, the toolbox, uh, tools in the writers' toolbox. You, you need, to, I think, to have a bit of levity to create the, the emotional landscape. So I think in Shakespeare we used to do that, he would have your horror moments, but just before it, a, a comedy moment. So you have a greater emotional transition. So I think it's one of the reasons why we do it as well, to, to just double up on the impact of the next chapter. So as a kind of FYI, if we're being funny, Watch well, yeah, out, because I'm <laughs>
0: in the
4: uh, Yeah,
5: as a scholar, I'm um, hardwired to uh, to document, so it's kind of like, it was, it was always part and parcel of this book. It was always going to be in there somehow, but the way that I use it, the way that I like to use it, is uh, to extend the, the backstory and the form story of the, of the characters. So, it, I use it more in domestic settings than actually like, on the... Day to day jobs essentially. There, there, there's humour in the day to day, there's a lot of dark humour. Uh, I think police are dealing the trauma, and trauma, you know, one human trait to deal with trauma is to make jokes about it. So I think that's, that's part of it. But I, I I used it certainly as a, as a means of uh, developing characters and also developing their domestic story. Um, and, it, and it's it's a joy when I return to it and go, and go back and play out what they're doing next, and you know, Molls and his, and his dad, uh for yeah.
2: Any questions from the audience? Guy Hale.
5: Yeah, a crime fiction is very much about resolution and catching the, the villain at the end. Would you ever consider writing a book where the villain gets away and it can then go into a series, very much like... Uh, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. There wasn't a
4: straightforward resolution and when you thought there was, they were both written out
2: together. Well,
0: not in this series, but in the series that I'm actually writing, not all the ends are tied up. And um, it has to be done properly, doesn't it? So I'm struggling a little bit, but I don't think, because in real life all the ends aren't tied up and sometimes people do get away with it. And that can follow through to the next book, and then the next book, and there's a recurring theme. I don't think you could do that as the main theme, because readers want some resolution, don't they? Um,
1: yeah, I think that's right, uh, what Effie just said. And I've thought about it myself uh, in the books I've wrote so far that there could be a case doesn't get solved, because it happens. Uh, you know. uh, and then I think, but then have I then got to put it into the next one that it does get a resolution of some sort because i can imagine the emails already you know well what happened to them well i don't know yet <laughs> but then which book do you put the because they would, they would expect the resolution somewhere down the line so i have thought about it but it hasn't happened yet no bets are off
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, these boys. Are 10, I'm on the tenth book now, and I think his his hit rate is fifty percent. so I'm pretty sure half the books he just doesn't quite solve it, uh, or he does solve it, but, but the bad guys still win. You know? So I really, I suppose. Um,
5: I have a I have a, a, a serial killer in the book, in my books, that um, is dead, but returns to haunt uh, the Central protagonist born, and as a sort of a, 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 a the impact of his PTSD so in a sense the, there is a recurring serial killer who's escaped justice in a sense because he blew himself off so um, and that theme carries on so it's a, and it, and it, and it influences and impacts on the story um, so i'm already sort of playing a little bit with that it's a bit, a bit tangential you know, but not quite what you mean but uh, there, is a, there, is a, there is a presence of this, this, this um, ghost, if you like, who escaped justice. Um, will it be resolved? What's the kind of name?
2: Any more questions? Um, next one. It's um, <laughs> yeah. With advances in science, it's difficult to away, get away with it. I'm talking about like touch, DNA, we've touched on really the,
0: the DNA. And I'm really looking at if the brain is kept warm, so it can not see what you might do by probing the memory no. of the
1: person. You know. That's way beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. And me. Uh, but yeah, I think again the thing is, um we all know days of progress in forensic science is progressing every
3: Yeah, it, is a, it is a difficult one. And I, I guess um, what, people, what, what people do they watch TV programs where the friends has come back in like half an hour, and it's just like, really, that's not how it works, um, and. There's an awful lot of, of solid police work that goes behind that, because it, the forensics side of things is, is one thing, but in actual fact, you've got to build a case um, more in a broader spectrum um, on top of that. Um, I guess, you know, you, I, I mean, I, my time period for this is like 10 years ago, um, because ANPR wasn't quite as, 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 as prevalent, CCTV wasn't quite as prevalent, mobile phone signal was quite not quite as prevalent. But you have to also remember that the criminals are watching these programmes. So they're turning up with nitrile gloves and suits and masks and doing whatever naughty things that they ought to be doing. Um, I guess the difference is with, with murder, and I can't remember exactly what the percentage is, but the majority of murders are committed by people known to the person who was killed. And they're often in, in, you know, whether or not they're in cold blood or in hot blood. Um, and it, that they're easier that's to solve. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> they're easier to solve than a serial killer. Um, and that's why profiling and, and, um, and, and all of the forensic side
4: um, and building the picture of this person becomes so important. If, they, if what you're saying is true about, um, <laughs> we're we <quite> good, I don't You've got AI books coming on the road at have a Lock us up, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it is getting harder and harder to find that wriggle room uh, between forensics to, to, to convincingly portray that guy kind of getting away with it long enough to get a novel out of it. Um, but, honestly, I don't know the answer. You're actually scaring me. <laughs>
5: I've got the answer. There's two words smoke and nervous. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
3: that's two <that's three> words? Nerves. <laughs> 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 Do
2: you want to ask a question? Yeah, uh, for the authors that worked in the police force and for the authors uh, that haven't, I was
0: wondering. Are you basing the characters on anyone you've come across, good or bad, or is it just No people? comment. <laughs> <laughs> I think what most, most authors do, and I like to think that I'm probably similar to most of people, we take bits of lots of different people we know to make an amalgam, and I have definitely written some characteristics and some not-so-nice bosses I've had in the past. They do feature, but I'd like to think they're hidden a bit only i know who they are um, yeah again
1: i made it up uh, basically but i did feel that i achieved the right result um early on in the books uh, the main police character is having a relationship with one of his sergeants and uh, someone asked me which two police officers in norfolk were having an affair and <laughs> um, i said i don't know and i don't actually think it really matters um, but with this one uh, someone i knew who read the book and she said to me at one stage, she said, I wish I could meet a man like D.I.K., he's lovely. And I just looked at her and I said, he's not real. <laughs> I said, I've made him up. He does not exist. She said, no, but he's still lovely. So that
3: works. But no, it's a case of taking bits and pieces of the people let you me know. Uh no, the, for me, the police officers that are in mine are completely fictional. Um the I guess the killer in the first one is a composite, um, and Gemma um, is is not somebody I know at all. Um, but and and in actual fact came about weirdly because I'd written her as a male character to begin with, and it was my editor who suggested that she be female, um, and it was absolutely the right call. Oh, um, and then Jack has a lot of my characteristics um, in, in, in some ways. He's probably nicer than I am. Um, but he, uh, he was invalided out of the police force because of a very bad knee injury. I wrote that because I have halfway to see both my knees. He fly fishes. I fly fish. He loves to cook. I love to cook. Um, and so he's very relatable to me. Um, and writing dialogue for him is, is is cool. I suppose the thing that I have ruthlessly stolen is friends' names um, to put in and usually splice them together. So um, Jack's old boss in the police, um, who is now a detective chief superintendent of somebody called Roman Blacklock. Roman was somebody I used to go dive, scuba diving with, and then Blacklock was a guy called it the Blacklock I went to school with, and I've done that quite a lot. There's a uh, a journalist in it called uh, David Anderson, and um, one of my closest friends is a guy called Angus McSwan, um, who is a Reuters senior editor. His middle name is David Anderson.
4: So, back I think I kind of do the flip side of that, which is I think in all of the books, though, mm-hmm. all of the characters I are mean, based on people I know, uh, and I tend to even write my first draft with their actual names. And then the last part of that drafting process is to do a word search on their names. Mm-hmm. Strip them all out and replace them with fake names so that you can't be seen. <laughs> <laughs> so, i because mean, I think I have missed in one. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, for
0: the lawyers.
4: Something to do mistake. <laughs> but I think I mean, that's how Apple works for me because then I know how they speak. Uh, in that situation it makes the writing a lot easier to have a genuine pers- personality template to work. Um <laughs> uh, I base myself character entirely
5: on Andy. Is uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a checks too? No way um I it's interesting because I, I started with one and you have you have, I worked very hard on all of the the, the team the central team. Worked for months on it before I put any kind of story to paper and it's important to get out right, um, and, and, and have these people as fully formed as you could possibly go at that particular point um, and at that, at that time at the same time I, I had a police advisor, fantastic detective inspector who helps me show, show something or humiliating interrogation and um i've worked with him through through the whole the whole series and it's interesting because as we've gone along uh i got to know him really quite well He started to influence one of the i'm not going to say which one one of the characters in the, in the book quite early on it starts to take on some of his characteristics almost unconsciously i think at first and then i realized what i was doing <laughs> Should I tell them? Should I not tell them? It? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's just quite subtle, but it's, it's, it's useful because um, it gives you something to hang um, the characteristics on as well. gives you some sort of reality to paint to. Um, just it... Anybody else? Morgan. Oh. Um,
3: what's the weirdest thing you've
2: had to research for your books? Um, that you would have uh, find difficult
0: to explaining should you have your computer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. I'll have to think about that because I do search some weird and wonderful things all the time. <laughs> um, I do get lost in rabbit holes as well, and that's uh, yeah. But I am conscious of what police can search for. So, mm, um, poison in your husband, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think every writer's search history uh, would be very interesting. Um, I do clear one every now and then, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's just a case of the fact that we, we research things to try and get it as close as we can to the truth. Poisons, uh, I think, is yeah. definitely one. Uh, you know, uh, but one of my biggest researches, again, is going back to the name situation. And that's more because I've used it now a couple of times, well, different medias, but I wanted names of Indians uh, that would run an Indian restaurant. And I didn't want to go down the road of a call calling Raj. So I had, I had a whole list on my computer of all these weird and wonderful Indian names. And just recently I've done the same thing with Afghanistan names. But also I found that all I do now is as well as research the name. I'll research the meaning uh, and see whether you might get two or three different ones, but normally they match up along the way. So as I say, it's just doing things like that as well. But as far as weird ones, then poisons has got to be on top of the list, I think.
3: Russian criminal tattoos, (laughs) Um, Albanian names, and ethylene glycol.
4: DNA from Human Child And such a search before that, probably was to do a psychologist's uh, analysis of, of um, trauma. I've actually died twice <laughs> <laughs> Facebook.
5: I've been kicked off Facebook twice, I think, for, for, for months, I think, sometimes, because of a conversation I've had with a fellow writer um about a, about a um, plot or, a, or, or, or an incident and, uh, and you know the algorithms on Facebook really you know, have a sense of humor, don't really understand what's going on. <laughs> So you have to you have to be very explicit and state very carefully that this is fiction, this is fictional <laughs> uh, and, um, and code some of the some of the keywords that you're going to be using on social social media. Just a warning.
2: Unfortunately, we're out of time, um, but again, these guys will be around, and everyone apparently, apart from Alex, has books to sell. <laughs> <laughs> i still got millions of so please, please I back, so I don't have to take them home. <laughs> thank you,
0: Donna. There were some uh, good questions in there. Yeah, right.
2: Right. Thank, thank you for think. stepping in. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Can I touch it past 5, please? I will to the train station. No, no. We'll try to get it there as soon as we can. You to well, back? you better, because are have past 5. Oh, to a side with yeah. side <coughs> Ouch,
2: if ouch, ouch. it's
1: not your <laughs> <laughs> oh, We we are standing here. Well, we've got two <laughs> that side and three this side? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Okay,
1: let's do it. <laughs> are we going to do it in front are we? Oh, right, right. Okay. Okay. let's do it. Let's do it all at the same place. Like Okay, ready? Perfect.
2: Thank you yes, very much. Oh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Thank you oh. Well done as well. you done